Cancer Advances, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest innovative research and clinical advances in the field of oncology. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cancer Advances. I'm your host, Dr. Dale Shepard, a medical oncologist here at Cleveland Clinic overseeing our toxic phase one and sarcoma programs. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Kastra Karamloo. Kastra is a medical oncologist with our Cleveland Clinic regional practice in Sandusky. He's here today to talk to me about management of myeloma. So welcome, Kastra. Maybe to start, you can tell me a little bit about your role at Cleveland Clinic. Thank you, Dale, uh, and I appreciate uh, being on. I'm one of the staff physicians in one of the regional sites in the Cleveland Clinic Tossic Cancer Institute, and our standalone cancer center is located in uh, Sandusky, Ohio. Uh, we're an independent cancer center in the region here, but obviously we're uh, part of the Greater Cleveland Clinic Cancer Institute, uh, and we collaborate uh, with uh, the main campus Cancer Institute very closely, uh, as well as some of the other programs that are uh, uh, not necessarily with TOSIC, but part of the Cleveland Clinic. So we're very fortunate to have access to very, very high level care for our patients locally uh, here at Sandusky and the region. So I I know one of your uh, clinical interests is multiple myeloma. Maybe just to start, what what are the things that excite you about newer therapies in myeloma? I think, as the audience knows, the treatment of myeloma has certainly changed, and and uh, there doesn't go a month without uh, another advance uh, that happens in a myeloma, or there's an approval for, uh, for management of patients with myeloma. I think that uh, the number of therapeutic uh, avenues that have really become available in myeloma in the recent years has really expanded uh, what we can do for our patients and what we can offer for our patients. And uh, as we also do at the, in the Cleveland Clinic, there's a number of uh, uh, novel clinical trials cl- uh, and combination of these agents, both in the ter- terms of immunotherapy and non-immunotherapy-based therapies that we're very, very excited about. So I think that the uh, way that the field is moving in myeloma is quite rapid. Uh, sometimes when you're out in practice on a daily basis, it's difficult to, to keep up with the pace of that advance. And I think that's what really keeps it exciting uh, as far as managing patients with myeloma and being in the forefront of uh, treating this disease. So what's uh, typical in terms of um, sort of as a a regional uh, oncologist who sees many, many things as patients come in with myeloma, kind of what would be typical in terms of where they are with their workup? Do Do you normally get them sort of right out of the gate from primary care or have they usually done a lot of the workup, or what does that look like? So actually, a lot of our patients that we do see with, with myeloma, a lot of them are newly diagnosed patients that are referred to us uh, generally by either the local physicians or they're admitted to the local hospitals here for, for you know, either for a different reason. And we are essentially the primary folks who essentially diagnose the myeloma and really start managing that from day one. So it's very different, obviously, than uh, what uh, can be seen at main campus, where obviously there's a lot of referrals for, for patients who've been on previous therapies before. We tend to see a lot of patients who come to us, uh, never been diagnosed with myeloma, and we make that diagnosis uh, here in the, in the clinic. Uh, a lot of these patients could be referred for either you know, pain or an, uh, or an abnormal MRI or as a workup of anemia 
or you know, or as part of uh, renal insufficiency workup, that we end up uh, seeing them and diagnosing them with myeloma. Really, you you're seeing them as you say from the initial diagnosis and and making those first treatment plans. Do you guys work with main campus like in a tumor board style fashion, or how do you guys come across the initial therapy decisions? So I think uh, being part of the clinic, you know, gives us the ability to actually be involved uh, in the myeloma tumor boards directly with uh, the folks downtown and the main campus, which is obviously a tremendous advantage that we have uh, being a regional site of Cleveland Clinic. And uh, essentially almost all of our patients who are diagnosed with myeloma or patients who may require a change of therapy, we have been routinely presenting those patients at the myeloma tumor board where obviously there's a consensus and uh, uh, as far as the management is concerned, and then we'll start uh, uh, treating those patients based on the consensus of the conference. And obviously if there are clinical trials that the patient potentially could either qualify for either here locally as part of the Cleveland Clinic regional research program or potential protocols that may just be available at the main campus, that decision is made at that time and we'll make the appropriate referral. Uh, and obviously, uh, uh, if we feel that the patient is transplant eligible, that's another avenue where during that uh, tumor board conference, that decision is made. And then uh, after you know several rounds of induction therapy, appropriate referrals made to the transplant program. So it, it actually works very well in a sense that, yes, we are not uh, at the main campus, but we feel very close. And I feel that our patients are getting that high level of care being part of this uh, program. So geographically, you're roughly a couple hours away. So yeah, roughly about from the main campus, we're close to anywhere between 60 to 70 miles away, but we do uh, have a pretty big regional area where we cover. So uh, we can get potentially patients that are even further away from where we are. So it really allows some of the folks who don't necessarily have access to a tertiary care center close by to them, be able to get that level of care or be directed to that level of care close to home. And of course, when we think about transplants, which requires treatment on main campus, that becomes more of a of an issue. And do you think patients are typically pretty amenable to that? I think obviously once we made that determination that the patient is eligible for, for transplant, I think uh, most patients are are amenable to that. And uh, they understand that that's an important part of their care. And we do also have a fair amount of uh, resources available to us being part of the Cleveland Clinic, which we could offer the patients so the patients can get down to the main campus for their consultation or even travel uh, a help that we can provide for them uh, uh, as part of what we can offer uh, the, the patients, which also makes it somewhat easier for some of the patients that otherwise may have had a challenge you know, getting downtown. Well, I know I'm tremendously grateful for the work you guys do out in the region in terms of being able to provide continuity of care and, you know, treatment to, to patients that we're sort of co-managing and that really works out well. It really does work out uh, very, very well. And we're really fortunate to be able to have access to the high level of care that's provided by you guys uh, downtown here locally. So, you know, oftentimes I, I, I suspect that you did mention sort of a wider reach even in the region uh, for some of these patients uh, with, with tumors that, and, and cancers that may not be as common. Um, COVID uh, has certainly been a, a huge impact on how we treat patients and 
um, virtual visits and things like that. How how has that impacted um, how you're treating patients out in the in the the region? Well, I think initially, as as it was true probably with everybody, there's a there was a learning curve as to how how we're going to approach this. I think majority of our patients uh, here locally really rather come and see the doctor personally. And obviously we've had, you know, certain uh, guidelines that we've put in place and, uh, you know, almost all patients follow those and that, that have worked very, very well. And obviously those are clinic-wide guidelines that uh, are instituted here at, at our local clinic. But there are a few patients that uh, potentially are further out that end up doing virtual visits and that has also worked well for us. One thing that we did notice is that there were uh, some patients that were getting their therapies downtown, uh, either chemotherapy or potentially sometimes radiation therapy. And initially we did see a big influx of those patients not wanting to go down to the main campus. And we saw a lot of those patients coming and seeing us either for their therapies, their injections or radiation therapy because of the fact that we are part of the Cleveland Clinic and we were close to their house. And we did see a big influx initially uh, of that. And I think some of that still continues. And that's, I think, an advantage for the program as a whole, because we're still able to provide, uh, you know, care that's directed by experts like yourself downtown close by, and the patients are less exposed going back and forth or traveling. So continuity certainly uh, certainly plays a huge role in and you talked about group decision-making between region and downtown. And I think from the very beginning, it seems as though myeloma was was really leading the charge in terms of care paths. And really, anytime someone walks into a Cleveland Clinic facility, they're getting Cleveland Clinic care, and it's very consistent uh, among all of the groups. So um, how, how do care paths and sort of the sort of written out algorithms how does that influence how you sort of interact with us on main campus and and provide care to maybe talk a, a little bit about the care path process? I think obviously the care path process is, is a very helpful process for the region. And I think it's a very helpful process for the whole enterprise as far as essentially providing a um, standardized care for for all the patients that come through the system. And I think that it's obviously a pathway that's designed in a, a sort of multi-expertise uh, level by, by the experts, and uh, they're essentially easily available to us to implement when we see a, a new patient or a patient with relapse disease or as far as follow-ups are concerned. And I think part of that care path also is our ability to be involved in the tumor board process uh, very easily from the distance that we are and being able to incorporate those care paths as part of the multidisciplinary tumor board in myeloma uh, into our daily practice of managing these patients. So I do really think that they do provide a strong framework for us to provide the best care for our patients, even though they may not be necessarily at the main campus, but they're rest assured that they are receiving that degree of high-level care close to home. Part of uh, any care path and any treatment of, of patients that we see um, in our clinics uh, really involves clinical trials as part of that care. Um, how are you able to incorporate clinical trials into the treatment of of uh, myeloma out in the region and either having a trial there at the region for patients to participate in or 
sort of the knowledge of what trials might be available. So how, how do trials fit into your practice for myeloma? So obviously trials, um, as with other malignancies, and especially with myeloma, are a big part of our clinical practice, and we want to make sure that we're offering uh, the appropriate patients the appropriate clinical trial as well. As you are well aware, in the regions, we obviously are part of the TOSIC Regional Cancer Research Program, and that's a, a program that's run regionally where the, the regional investigators uh, meet on a regular basis. Uh, we go through various protocols on a regular basis and approve various protocols, which we feel meet the demands of our patients. So we have, uh, you know, those trials, uh, which uh, which some are actually uh, Cleveland Clinic uh, initiated trials available here at the region. And also we have access and we have the ability to easily, uh, with the research staff that we have available in the region in our offices, quickly uh, screen patients for potential trials that are available downtown as well as, as uh, the staff, the research staff has the ability to get into the protocols and uh, do a thorough screening of the patients before we plan on saying that, that a trial that's not necessarily available here locally is available downtown and we will definitely refer the patient there for that particular trial. So they do play a significant role in the daily management of our patients and having the ability to either have those trials opened uh, locally uh, through the Cleveland Clinic Regional Research Program uh, is important to us. And there are obviously there are certain protocols that are not open regionally. And with the research staff that we have available, we can easily access those and screen patients and refer them for the appropriate clinical trial. So they play a significant role in the management of the patients. And I think that's a really important point to get out is that um, even patients that get referred to to you and the regional practice um, have, have good access to those clinical trials. So sometimes it seems there's a perception that people have to make the trek to, to downtown Cleveland, but it's important to have people realize that that's not the case. Absolutely, and you, and you bring up a very good point uh, because there are a lot of trials that are available at the regional research facilities of the uh, TOSIG Institute, and patients can access those trials easily here locally close to where they live. So that's very true. They don't have to make the, the travel all the time. So I'm going to double back into your your, your interest in uh, in myeloma and, and pick your brain a bit. As you uh, see all the progress that uh, that has been made in this disease, what uh, what do you think is the most promising of the new therapies? Well, I think there's obviously a lot of novel therapies that have been approved recently. Uh, which have been incorporated into a management of myeloma for us. I think well, one area of excitement, obviously, is the uh, role of immunotherapy in myeloma, as it is across many of the other malignancies. But I think certainly in myeloma, there's been uh, a wealth of data suggesting that uh, immunotherapy has a significant role in management of patients with myeloma, either through monoclonal antibodies, which obviously uh, have uh, been approved now extensively in managing myeloma across multiple lines of therapy, and immunoconjugates, uh, which also have started to play an important role in myeloma, uh, and exactly how those are delivered, and other ways to stimulate the immune system, either with uh, bite therapies and obviously CAR-T therapies, uh, those are, I think, areas of exciting uh, avenues of advance in multiple myeloma. I think the CAR-T therapies are going to be uh, significant in myeloma. 
exactly the target of those CAR T therapies, uh, and we have the ability to have access to those therapies. Allogeneic CAR T therapies, which are sort of off-shelf CAR T therapies, we do have a clinical trial downtown, which is looking at that, and I think that's uh, another exciting uh, area. And as I mentioned, the bite technology and bite therapy in myeloma, I think, is another significantly important pathway in managing patients with myeloma. And also, there are other novel mechanisms of actions, uh, such as some of the other cell mods or immunomodulatory pathways, novel drugs that are becoming more available, that are more potent, less toxic in that realm. And also some of the other uh, novel avenues, such as XPO1 inhibitors and how we utilize that in myeloma. I think all of those are becoming quite uh, interesting. And hopefully we'll find a way and sort of uh, get into that algorithm of how to best manage these patients. So lots and lots of progress, lots of new treatments. And with that comes the, the challenges, I guess, of which patient is best to receive which therapy. Anything that's particularly interesting in terms of how do we get the right patient, the right therapy? So within a disease state, uh, how do we make those selections? Um, how do we pick the right therapy for the right patient? And I think you bring up a tremendously important point, uh, who should get what? And uh, obviously, uh, in the era of personalized uh, medicine, we want to have the ability to really deliver pinpoint care to the appropriate patient. And obviously, in myeloma, we're sort of fortunate that we have so many options, but we still haven't quite figured out uh, who should get what uh, based on, for example, their molecular characteristics or uh, other factors of their disease. I think that's an evolving area. And I think as time goes by, with the, the number of tools that we have available, I think that will become more clear. Obviously, I think that the standard therapy for a standard risk patient has been our triplet therapies. You know, obviously there's more uh, interest nowadays with quadruplet therapies up front, but we haven't been able to necessarily distinguish who gets what. And obviously uh, we have the, the high-risk patients and also the ultra-high-risk patients. And right now there's not necessarily any randomized trials that can help guide us how to potentially manage those patients differently than our standard risk patients. There's a number of trials ongoing that is addressing that. Uh, so obviously that's an area of, of significant interest. And I think as far as uh, another important factor in myeloma is really achieving uh, the deepest response with uh, minimal residual disease assessments and how that's assessed either through uh, sequencing or through flow cytometry or, or uh, with the addition of radiographic minimal residual disease. And we do know that patients that do achieve that tend to do better. So obviously, that's another important goal of therapy. And as far as who should get what is concerned, we're still, I think, searching to look for markers to try to define how we can achieve that endpoint of minimal residual disease in a particular patient in the best manner. And I think that's where the, the I think that's where really uh, the the treatments are headed. So certainly that's going to be a challenge moving forward, and we've we've made great progress in really all phases of treatment. But when you think about managing patients with sort of initial diagnosis or relapse or a transplant setting, uh, what what's the biggest gap? Where where do we need to make the most progress? What where do we need to really spend our efforts and say this is an area that that we really got to do better? 
Well, I think in, in myeloma, obviously, I think uh, well, one of our biggest area of needs, I think, is, is how to ultimately manage after risk stratifying our high risk and ultra risk uh, patients. I think that's a big area of need in managing myeloma patients. And I think a lot of that really comes up front because I think as with many other malignancies, uh, you're able to achieve your best remission, best potential duration of remission, and also possibility of cure with, with the most effective frontline regimen. Uh, although obviously our frontline regimens in myeloma have improved significantly, and based on your risk of disease, your remission duration will also be impacted by that. We have obviously some high risk or ultra high risk patients who still, despite our best therapies, aren't doing well. And I think that's a big area of need, uh, how best we need to optimize management of those patients in the frontline setting so we can have the ability for those patients to actually have a long, a durable uh, a remission. And obviously, the other uh, big area of needs is, despite the fact that we've had a number of uh, approved therapies in myeloma, unfortunately, patients do relapse. And there is uh, obviously more need for patients who are double imid refractory or uh, CD38 antibody refractory and a double proteasome inhibitor refractory. And I think there's a lot of need for finding optimal therapies and optimal combinations for, for managing those patients as well. Well, Catherine, you've, you've uh, given us lots of great insight on coordination of care, on uh, the issues related to treatment of myeloma. Uh, do you have any additional comments? No, I just wanted to thank you very much for, for including uh, me in this program. I think that we have a very successful program, uh, which has worked very well in a sense of being a part of the Cleveland Clinic, but not necessarily being inside the Cleveland Clinic. I think we're able to uh, deliver high level of care uh, that is coordinated through the clinic out to the region. I, and I think that provides a unique uh, service that really serves the local communities exceptionally well. Well, thank you very much for all you do. And thank you for uh, being with us today. Thank you very much. This concludes this episode of Cancer Advances. You will find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic's Cancer Center experts on our Consult QD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org cancer. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.